0: appreciate you all being here with us today. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are in something called the Jesus Series, and we've been doing this since ooh, since early September. We've been going through this Jesus Series, uh, looking at the life of Jesus in a mostly chronological order. We began in September, and we're going to go through the life of Jesus all the way as we tiptoe into May. And the reason we are doing this Jesus Series is so that we can get to know Jesus better. It's just that simple. Let's get to know him better. Let's hear him speak his words. Let's hear his teachings. Let's see how he interacted with people. Let's see his miracles. Let's get to know Jesus better. And let's share this Jesus with other people in our lives. And so that's why we're doing this thing as a church going through this Jesus series. As you may have noticed in your bulletin, today's message is called Save the Drama. And if I save the drama for your mama. And the reason we have that expression is because we human beings, we do not like drama in our lives, do we? We don't like it. I mean, maybe some people do, right? Have you ever met somebody that's like trying to stir it up and get all dramatic and blah blah blah? It's like, whoa. Listen, if that's you, if you like drama, let me just tell you politely, um there's something wrong with you, so let's schedule like a counseling session at some point and we can talk through that issue, but by and large, we don't like drama in our lives. Let's maintain order. Let's maintain peace, yes? There's something I've learned as I've been a pastor for a little while now, something I've learned about people is that people have, um, oh, what's it called? People have uh, feelings. That's what people have. People have feelings, right? Right? And people can get those feelings hurt, and people can have these conversations, and somebody takes something the wrong way, and then they go off, and they gossip about it, and then this group of people doesn't like this group of people, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is within the church. What are we doing here? Can we just save the drama, right? Can we not do this type of thing? And there's so many different types of drama that are avoidable in life, Right? So many types of drama, Just can we just communicate and get along and like be respectful to each other? So many types of drama are avoidable. But then and there are other types of drama that we can do nothing to avoid. Dramatic events, dramatic occurrences, things that happen that are beyond our control, right? The hurricane sweeps through the town and the roof blows off. And That's a big old dramatic experience that you could do nothing to avoid or that home catches on fire and everything's destroyed, and you certainly wish you could avoid that kind of a dramatic event, but there's nothing you can do to avoid it. Or you get that phone call, and someone you love has just suddenly passed, and so many of us know what that's like, and you have to deal with all of that drama, and we wish we could avoid it. Or you get that phone call from the doctor, and the test results are back. And it's not what you wanted to hear. And so there are all these types of drama that are not avoidable in this life. And I believe, and this might sound wild to you, but I believe that Jesus, when we actually invite him into our lives, he brings with him a specific brand of drama. Jesus tends to disturb the peace, right? disturb our established order when we invite him into our lives, and we don't like that, right? We like to keep things. I mean, we fear change as people. We like to keep things organized, yes? And all of us, as we go through life, we develop a certain sense of values and a certain sense of priorities and how we spend our time and how we spend our money and what we pursue and what we think is important what we think is not important, and then Jesus comes along knocking at our door and says, hey, I've got a new list of values for you, a new list of priorities, a new way to spend your time, a new way to spend your money, a new way to interact with one another. Do you want to take this on? Do you want to take this new way on? We say, man, that would really disturb my peace, Jesus. In fact, that's one of the reasons why people reject Jesus. Because when they see what Jesus has to offer, it's all a bit much, right? It's all a bit much. You know, if we could just keep doing our own thing, and I'm going to keep my same job, and I'm going to keep talking to people the way that I always have, and keep my relationships the way that I always have, and if I could just sprinkle a little Jesus into that, that would be fine. But that's not what Jesus has for us. (laughs) When we begin following Jesus, He reorients our entire lives. I mean, talk about drama. We fear drama. We fear change. We do not want to disturb the peace. Let's take a look at this incredibly dramatic series of events that occurs in Luke chapter 8. If you have a, a an old fashioned Bible with you, like I do, like actual printed out hard copy. Oh, we're going to be in Luke 8. You can use your app too if you want to read along with us. Luke's about this far back, okay, if you have a paper copy. We're in Luke 8. And in verses 22 through 25, there is this very intense, dramatic event where Jesus and his disciples are traveling across the Sea of Galilee in a boat. And a big storm comes along, and Jesus is asleep. He is sleeping. He is at peace through the storm. And the disciples start freaking out. What's going to happen? We're going to drown. We're going to die. And they call upon Jesus. They wake him up, and he wakes up, and he's like, okay, be quiet. And the storm stops, and the rain stops, and the wind dies down. And they are shocked. I mean, these are men who have seen miracles. They've seen people raised from the dead at this point, but they're shocked by this. And they say to each other, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And so they go through this storm, and they end up on the other side from where they were, on the other side. I'm going to pick up with verse 26. They sail to this country of the Gerasenes, sometimes translated as Gerardines. Either way, they end up at this place which is opposite of Galilee, where they started. And when he, Jesus, came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, who had not put on any clothing for a long time. So he was naked, just so we're clear, all right? And he was not living in a house, but in the tombs. Maybe we should have looked at this passage a few weeks ago around Halloween, because this is just, this is scary. This is like horror movie type stuff, right? Right? And what if we imagine this? What if it's like dusk, like it's dark out when this happens? Can you imagine how scary this is, how frightening this is? Here comes this man possessed by demons, and he's naked, and he's wild. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him. And he said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, son of the most high God? Let's pause here for a couple points. You know, Luke tells us about this event as he writes his biography of Jesus, and Mark also writes about this event in his biography of Jesus, and Matthew also writes this event in his biography of Jesus, and Matthew tells us something that gives us an extra detail. Matthew tells us that there are actually two guys in this situation, right? Luke and Mark, they focus on the one guy, but Matthew tells us there were actually two there, Right? And some people say, well, is that like a discrepancy? Was there one or was there two? Well, just so you know, Luke and Matthew, they never said there was only one. They just focus on the story of this one man. And so Luke is focused on the story of this one man. And this one man possessed by demons says to Jesus, what business do we have with each other? I mean, what, what is it? And that, isn't that a funny way to phrase it? What's our business that we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? And you realize that this demon... This group of demons, they know exactly who Jesus is. They know he's the son of the most high God. I mean, that's not something they doubt. They know it. They believe it. And when we get to the book of James, James tells us about believing in God and believing and, and that, that Jesus really is who he claimed to be, that Jesus is the son of God. And James says, well, big deal. Even Satan and the demons know who he is, Right? And when we put our belief in God, it's not just believing. When we put our belief in Jesus, it's not just believing that he is the Son of God. It's actually putting our trust in him. I don't just believe that you're the Son of God. I actually trust what you've said. And I'm putting my trust in you for salvation. That's the kind of believing in that we're required to do. And so here's this intensely dramatic scene, and the disciples and Jesus, they're probably still damp from the storm that they were in, and they're drying themselves off, and this wild, naked man approaches them and just shouts out in this crazed voice, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? For he, verse 29, Jesus, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. It just got much scarier, okay? So he's naked, but he's got these broken chains and shackles on. It's wild. I mean, if you're a disciple in that moment, you've seen a lot up to this point, but this is wild. And Jesus asked him, verse 30, what is your name? And he said, legion for many demons had entered him. A couple points to to notice here. Jesus asked him, and we wonder, is Jesus speaking to the demons, or is Jesus communicating with the man? And, And Jesus would have known that this man was possessed with many demons, and so why is he asking this question at all? Well, I think Jesus is asking this question for the sake of the audience who was there. He wanted the disciples and those who were present to know that there was many demons in this one man. They were imploring him, verse 31, not to command them to go away into the abyss. Please, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, please don't send us into the abyss. And Matthew's gospel points out that they say, don't torment us before the appointed time. So the demons know, the demons know there will be a day of reckoning. A day of punishment. They know this, and they say, please, not yet, don't send us to the abyss. Now, we come across these terms in the New Testament. There's the term the abyss, uh, Jesus uses the term hell, we get to the book of Revelation, the lake of fire. Well, not all of these terms are the same thing. The term hell and lake of fire, they are synonymous. That is the final place of damnation and judgment. But the term abyss refers to something else. We read about the abyss in the book of Revelation. I know this is a bit, a bit much for a friendly Sunday morning, but we read about the abyss in the book of Revelation, that there is a time where Jesus comes back to this earth, that second coming. And when Jesus comes back, Satan and the demons, they are sent to the abyss. They are imprisoned there for a time, but not for forever. They're in prison there for 1,000 years. If you read the book of Revelation literally, that's a specific point of time. I believe it's literal. They're locked up there in this prison for 1,000 years, and then they're allowed to be released for a season, and then they're cast into that final place of damnation, hell or the lake of fire, all right? I know it's a very brief way to explain, explain something complicated. But anyway, the demons know there's going to be a time where they're sent to the abyss. They say, please don't send us there. We know who you are. We know what you're capable of. We recognize your authority. Please don't send us into the abyss. Now, there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountains, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. Jesus, please don't send us into the abyss, that place of being tormented. Don't send us there and let said, us, let us be inside those swine. Send us into those swine. And Jesus permits it. Well, what's going on here? What is this? Is he showing mercy to demons? Oh, huh? that doesn't seem right. What's going on here? Well, wait a minute. What about the fact that there are pigs there in the first place? I mean, this was the Jewish community. These were the Israelites, and they were still under the Old Covenant. They weren't supposed to have swine. They weren't supposed to be eating pork. Don't they know that? So why were pigs there in the first place, and what is going, what's going on with this? You've got to remember, these people, the Jews, they were the same people who gave Jesus such a hard time. Anytime he seemed to break one of the laws, he never broke any law. But they gave him such a hard time. You need to follow all of the old commandments, all of the Old Testament, all of the law of Moses. And here are a group of Jews raising swine. What's going on? Well, what we know from history is that some Jews did that very thing. They didn't eat it. They would raise the pigs. They would hire shepherds to tend to them. Or not shepherds, but they would hire caretakers for the swine. And then they'd sell the pork to the Gentiles. In fact, here's your fun fact for this morning, this still happens. There are still Jews in the Holy Land that raise pigs, they don't touch them, and then they sell the pork to Gentiles. What kind of a loophole is this, right? And so Jesus is like, hmm, why are these pigs here? And the demons ask for permission to enter the pigs, and he grants it. Yeah, go ahead. Maybe Jesus is setting the stage for something even more dramatic to take place. The demons would rather indwell swine than be sent to the abyss. And as it turns out, the pigs would rather be dead than possessed by a demon. So here's what they do. The demons came out of the man, entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. And this is one of these locations where it's so specifically laid out here, you can go to this piece of land right now and see where this probably took place. They jumped off this cliff and they drowned themselves, right? I heard this referred to as suicide, right? Is that too corny of a joke? I didn't come up with that, sui, son. The demons would rather indwell pigs than be sent to the abyss. You like that, huh? And the pigs would rather be dead than possessed by demons. So what happens to the demons after that? Did they end up in the abyss after all? Oh, probably. They probably did. Wow. Goodness gracious. Talk about a dramatic event. Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away, yeah, I bet they did, and reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And how do they respond to this? Wow, wow. Jesus, this is incredible. Look what you have done for this man. I mean, this poor man, he lived in our community for some, some time now, and his parents were here, and he has brothers and sisters, and he has just been lived this torturous life for so long. And Jesus, look, now he's healed. Thank you, Jesus. And we don't know exactly who you are and what you're capable of, but like the fact that you've done this miracle means you must be from God. So Jesus, stay with us. Teach us. Heal us. I mean, we're sad that we lost the pigs because that was somebody's source of income and all that. But you're wonderful, Jesus. Stay. No. No, no. That's not how they respond. They see this man. He's healed. He's no longer naked. Right? He's clothed. He's in his right mind. They became afraid. We're frightened. What? What? is this? What kind of power is this? What kind of drama is this? What has just happened? Where are the pigs? What's going on? They were afraid. And those who had seen it reported it that to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well, and all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked Jesus to leave them. What? What? they were gripped with fear. What is this? Like Jesus, we've seen what you're capable of. We've seen your power. We've seen what you could do. And you are disturbing the peace. You are upsetting the established order. And fine, this guy is healed. That's great. But all these pigs are gone. And their livelihood is gone. And could you just get back on your boat and get out of here? This is all a bit much for us. Could you please Leave and he does. Okay. And he leaves. He got in his boat and returned. Of course, there was one man in the community that had a very different response to Jesus, (laughs) and that's the man who was healed, the man who is no longer possessed by demons. Verse 38, but the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. Jesus, I'm sorry they're sending you away, but, but you have done such a great thing for me, and I'm back in my right mind, and I'm, I'm no longer naked. Can I follow you, Jesus? Let's go. I'll get in the boat with you. There's room for one more. Thank you. And what does Jesus say? No. What? No. He sent him away saying, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. Like, buddy, I'm being asked to leave. You're my only witness here. you got to stay and tell other people what God has done for you. And he does just that. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. That's wild, man. That's wild. What a just crazy, dramatic series of events. And it was all a bit much for this one community. You know, Jesus, if you just kind of rolled into town and maybe like, how about some loaves and fishes type of thing? That would be great. You know what I mean? But like all these pigs drowning and this man who was like, this is a bit much for us, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus could be a bit. (laughs) It can be a bit much. (laughs) And so I have this this kind of open-ended sort of general question for all of you this morning, right? And we'll get a little bit more specific as we go. But my general question for you to consider is, well, where do you stand with Jesus right now? Have you rejected him? Have you considered what he has to offer, a new approach to life, a new approach to what you should be pursuing, a new way to re- re- relate to other human beings, a new way to treat people? And he says, you know what? It's all a bit much, Jesus. Have you rejected him? Because a lot of people do. And Jesus is used to that. Or have you done what a lot of us do, which is we let Jesus a little bit into our lives? Yes? Yes? Come on in, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done. We know that you have this, this tendency to disturb the peace and cause some chaos. So we're going to let you into our lives this far, but no further. That's what a lot of us try to do with Jesus. Or are you one of the few? Are you one of these people that has let Jesus fully into your life? Every room, access to every room in your heart. You know, our tendency is to say, okay, Jesus, come on in. We'll let you in the lobby area, okay? We'll let you into part of the living room. Stay out of the kitchen. Don't go upstairs. You're allowed into our house a little bit, yeah? I'll let you into, like, my family life this far but no further. I'll let you into my work life a little bit. Stay out of my love life. Stay out of my finances. Here you go, Jesus. Because we're afraid. What's Jesus going to do if he gets access to all the rooms, (coughs) What kind of trouble is he going to stir up? What kind of drama will he create? I think it may have just been last week. We're talking about Jesus and how often he's rejected. And, And you notice this pattern. When Jesus is rejected, he never seems surprised by it. Like he knows that people will reject him. He never seems offended by it. And so I've noticed I said we've been going through the Jesus series. He's not surprised, and he's not offended. And I was having a conversation with one of my mentors a couple weeks ago about this fact that Jesus is never surprised, he's never offended. And my mentor shared an idea with me that I'd, I'd missed. He said, you know, there's something else about that rejection. Jesus always seems to accept it. He doesn't fight back when he's rejected. And my mentor brought up, it just made me think about the, when Jesus is crucified. There's a man on either side of him, a criminal on either side, and one rejects and one accepts, and you don't see Jesus pleading, hey, please accept me. This is your last chance, dude. This is it. He accepts our decision. Now, please do not misinterpret. I am not suggesting that if you reject Jesus once, you never have a chance to receive him. Absolutely not. In fact, in the book of Revelation, Jesus paints this picture for us. He says, behold, I'm standing at your door, and I'm knocking. And he just waits there patiently for us to open that door and let him in. And so I believe when we reject Jesus, he will accept that. I also believe that if we put boundaries on Jesus, that he'll respect those boundaries. Jesus, come into my family life, a little bit into my work life stay out of my love life, stay out of my finances. I think he respects the boundaries that we put on him. I think he does. And so again, I'll ask you, where do you stand with Jesus? Have you received him? in? And if so, how far have you received him into your life? Have you given him access to every one of those rooms? And if your answer is no, it's probably based on fear. And here's what I want to say to you today. Those fears are valid. Because Jesus will stir it up. <laughs> he will bring hidden things to light. But here's the good news. When we invite Jesus fully into our lives, into every compartment, into every arena, you know who ends up winning in that scenario? Hmm. We do. When we give Jesus access to our whole selves, to all of our lives, then he can actually heal and restore every broken area of our lives. Yes, it's a bit much. (laughs) Yes, there's a lot of drama. And yes, Jesus will disturb the peace. We got to let him. If we want to be healed and fully live into our purpose in this world, we have to give Jesus access, full access, to our entire selves and our entire lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Before we close our worship service in prayer, I want to remind you that next week is Be the Church Sunday, and I want to challenge And encourage you to take full advantage of this opportunity. Focus on a relationship. Focus on somebody you can bless and be the church for that person. Yes? Let's rise as we close our worship service in prayer. Jesus, you bring hidden things to light. And you shine a light in the dark corners of our hearts, the dark corners of our lives. And you do do disturb the peace. But Jesus, we desire to be healed. We desire to be made new. We desire to have a relationship with you that lasts, that is meaningful, and that produces fruit. And so, Jesus, I, I would pray that you would give each one of us a desire, give us that desire to fully let you in, to our lives. Father God, we thank you for this time you've given us to worship you. And I pray your wisdom and your blessing over next Sunday. I pray for us as a congregation that we will go out into this community, that we will make connections with people, and that we will worship you by blessing one another. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.